Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. that Dennis Rodman and politics just don't go well together. And that's right. Yeah, y'all know. I don't want him representing us. I don't want him speaking for me. That just doesn't go well. Well, uh, tinfoil and microwaves. If you haven't tried that, let me just learn lessons from those of us that are more experienced. It just doesn't work well together. Uh, how about this one? For those of you that may attend the Oklahoma State Fair, uh, butter and deep frying. Just, did y'all know they had a, this year, one of the things they had was a stick of butter deep fried. You could buy it, pay like $9, and you were supposed to eat, never mind. Uh, you know you, oh, never mind, I ain't even going to say that. Uh, those things just don't go to well together. Uh, lying and a believer, someone that professes the name of Jesus, just doesn't fit well. Apathy and someone that's been saved by the grace of God, just don't go well together. And at least in the modern version of what we call church, I've also discovered that uh, talking about money, uh, doesn't, it doesn't seem to go well together. Now the problem with that is that I also told you last week that when you begin to examine what Jesus talked about when he was on the face of the earth, twice as much as anything else, he talked about finances. Uh, more than he, uh, you take all the times he talked about heaven and hell combined, and he still talked about money twice as much as all that. And then when you couple that with the fact that the number one reason uh, given why most couples fall in and, and split up and end up in divorce are money issues. And then when you figure out that most of us in, the, in this room and most of the people that you know, if they were honest, they would say, we're struggling, we're stressed out, we're freaked out, we can't sleep at night because of money problems. But talking about money in church doesn't go very well together. And so last week I told you this fact. I just want to give you a secret. I'm helping you this morning. I, I, am, I purposely titled this entire series, Other People's Money, so that you could relax when you got here because I'm not even talking about your money. Come on, touch your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. He's, he's not talking to me. He's talking to you. I'm letting you off the hook right now. I, I'm not even talking to tell your wife right now he's talking about your money, not my money. T tell your husband he's talking about, see, I'm just letting you off the hook. You, you can relax because I'm not even talking about your money. And so I need you to take extremely good notes so that when your neighbor is about to leave service and they miss something, you can inform them of what they missed because I was talking to them. I wasn't talking to you. So last week I told your neighbors that we had to come to this place again where we were willing to sacrifice and where we were willing to trust. Because I made this statement to you and I believe this with all of my heart. We don't have a financial gap. We have a trust gap. It's not about the money. It's about whether or not we trust God to be who he said he would be. And so this morning out of that, I want to bring you forward and talk some more about your neighbor's money, not yours, your neighbor's money. And I want you to join me in a very familiar passage of Scripture. And what we're going to do is we're going to read about the possessed man. Uh, 
Now, many of you, when I say that term, the possessed man, your mind races to Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 6, where we see this encounter that Jesus has with this guy living in the cemetery. But that's not the possessed man I'm talking about. I'm talking about a different possessed man. I am referring instead to the one found in Matthew chapter 19. Join me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16, and we're going to read about a possessed man. This is what it says. Another day a man stopped Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. And the, the man asked, what in particular? And Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as you do yourself. And the young man said, I've done all that. What's left? If you want to give it all you've got, go and sell your possessions and give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. Then come and follow me. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and he couldn't bear to let go. And as he watched him go, Jesus told his disciples, Do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Let me tell you, it's easier to gallop a camel through a, a, a needle's eye than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. And the disciples were staggered. Then who has any chance at all? I guess all of them made forty-four dollars to $45,000 a year too. Because I told you last week, if you make forty-four dollars to $45,000, you're in the top 1% of wealth earners in the entire world. So you're rich. Come on, tell, the, tell your neighbor, you're rich. Because I'm talking about their money. They're rich, right? The disciples were staggered then who has any chance at all? And Jesus looked hard at them and said, no chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself. Every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. Now, before we start talking about your neighbor's money, let me just uh, make a, a statement here, just something I've talked to you about before that I see out of this passage, a truth that I need to say to you. I've tried to teach you this before, but I need to. It, it's so apparent in this text, and that is this. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. This young man says himself, I was obedient in all these areas, but when Jesus brings the issue of money, he goes, I can't do that. That's like when you tell your kid to go clean their room, and when you walk in, the room looks clean, but they've stuffed it all under their bed. Like uh, partial obedience is complete disobedience. That's where this young man is. And so then Jesus begins to talk about the area of his disobedience because if you're obedient in all these other areas, but you're disobedient in any other area, it disqualifies or it undoes all the obedience that you've already. Okay, you got it because I've taught you that before. So let's, let's talk about your neighbor's money. Here you go. Two lessons that we need to learn this morning. No, that your, your neighbor, I don't want to put you on the spot. Your neighbor needs to learn. Look at him. You need to learn this. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Number one. Your neighbor has to stay on guard because what you hold on to can begin to hold on to you. That's what happens. Notice the struggle that takes place in this passage of Scripture. Here's a young man who has done his very dead level best to live holy, to follow all the commandments, to toe the line of righteousness, and yet he is so possessed by his possessions 
that when given the opportunity to have eternal life, he allows his love for the temporal to cost him the eternal. He's possessed by his possessions. And what he can see, what I can touch, what I can put my hands on, what I can enjoy, what I can drive, what I can live in, what I can wear, he becomes so con- com- completely consumed by that that he in fact refuses to embrace eternal life. Uh, he had the most toys, by the way. He would have won the contest. This man was entirely possessed. Uh, he didn't live in a cemetery, and he didn't have natural chains that he drug around as a testimony to his possession. But the truth is, is that in the, in the supernatural, although he was surrounded by abundance and supply, and although he enjoyed silk and caviar, he was still living dead, and he was abundantly bound. And even though he had the most toys, he had no relationship with God. Now, he asks for an answer. Don't you hate it when this happens? You ask for an answer. Don't ask me for the answer if you don't want me to give you the answer. He asked Jesus for the answer. And when Jesus responds, because he didn't like the answer, he's so possessed by his possessions that he rejects truth. Because what you're holding on to can hold on to you. See, if you're... If you're not careful, if your neighbor's not careful, possessions will possess. That's why Jesus takes the, 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 the time to address the possessive nature of possessions when he makes this statement. You cannot serve two masters. You can either serve God or you will serve money. And for those of you that are Bible scholars, you know that although the word money is a correct translation, it's incomplete because the real word there used is mammon and mammon has a spirit attached to it. And so what he's saying is you cannot love and serve and give your life to God and be so consumed by this spirit of stuff that you will serve one or the other. You cannot serve both. See, um, Jesus understood that when you're dealing with money and possessions, they come with strings attached. Uh, possessions, see, we like to say that possessions are about comfort issues. I need this car because it's more comfortable than my other car. And I need this house because it makes me more comfortable than my other house. And it's too tight in the other house. And I need these new clothes, although my old clothes are still perfectly fine. I need new clothes because they make me feel better about myself and they make me more comfortable. But what Jesus understood and what your neighbors got to understand is that when you're dealing with the concept of stuff and money, it's not about comfort issues, it's about control issues. That stuff controls us. Possessions don't get just get in your hands. They get in your heart. That's what this account tells us. Now, I need you to, to clarify something here before you take me wrong because, because I know what we do. We always want to swing the pendulum too far one way or the other. I just need you to understand that Jesus was not extolling poverty as some great virtue. 
you need to understand this morning that the, 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 gospel, the poverty gospel is just as jacked up as the prosperity gospel. They're both perversions of the truth. And so the, the, I don't want you to misunderstand me and say that God, well, you know, God will keep you whole and we're supposed to keep you poor. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not, Jesus was not teaching us that there's anything holy about poverty. In fact, if you go and look, you understand that what, this, what is happening is Jesus is simply giving this young man a test to see the way, whether or not God was more important to him than stuff the truth is is that God created us to love people and to use things there's absolutely nothing wrong with having possessions and a successful career in fact the apostle Paul addresses this in a passage of scripture that we're going to spend just a moment on it's first Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 listen to what he says he says command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches but in the living God here it is who gives us richly all things to enjoy. The reason God has blessed you with the car that you're now driving is not so that it will possess your soul, but so that you can enjoy it. The reason that God allows you to have the house that you have is not so that you can become puffed up and say, whoa, look at me. I got the best yard in nine counties. No, he's giving it to you so you can enjoy. God doesn't necessarily, God is not saying to us, I want to keep you poor. No, he says he gives us these things the problem with wealth is not in having it the problem with wealth is whether or not it has us in other words if you don't catch anything if your neighbor doesn't catch anything else make sure they catch this don't let them miss it if they're asleep right now elbow them. make sure they get this when it comes to possessions we've got to make be careful because we've got to constantly monitor and check how we get it how we guard it, and how we give it. Those are the three essential things you've got to make sure that your neighbor does right. How do they get what they get? Are they selling their soul to get this stuff? Are they, are they abandoning their kids to get this stuff? Are they stressing themselves out to get this stuff to impress people they don't even like or know? How are they getting it? How are they guarding it? Like, like if you try to get your hands on it, will they like hurt you? Like, like, like are, are they guarding it so much that, that, that that's all their time, all their energy, it's all about I got to get and keep? And how are they giving it? Are they giving it? Oh, it got quiet in here. Okay, well, uh, I'll move on then because Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. Check this out. Earthly goods are given to be used, not to be collected. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? He's going to finish it and it's not going to sound so good because he says this. Hoarding is idolatry how many pairs of shoes never mind never mind never mind bad pastor I wasn't I, I wasn't talking to you anyway so just relax just relax how many guns oh how many guns? I know easy I'm out I might get I might get jacked up in the parking lot uh, how many computers how many phones oh shoot uh, uh, why? Why is all that important? Because they come with strings attached. That's why uh, J.C. Ryle said this. He said, nothing I am sure of, nothing I am sure has as such a tendency to quench the fire of religion as the possession of money. Let me ask you a question. You've heard this question before. What does it profit a man? I know he was the richest kid in the neighborhood. 
And I know he had the nicest house and the latest gadgets. But what did it really profit him in the end when he had all of that and he lost his soul? It's not a worthy exchange, y'all. And so, as I was thinking about your neighbor's money this morning, I, I came to this conclusion. If your neighbor gives ownership to things, they will struggle to give lordship to Jesus. Y'all missed that, so I'm going to say it again. If your neighbor gives ownership to their stuff, they will struggle to give lordship to Jesus because there may come a moment if he's really Lord where he will say, give it away. And you will know whether or not you're possessed. I mean, your neighbor will know whether or not they're possessed by whether they're willing to give it. Have, has anybody else ever been in, the serv in a service before where God said, give everything you've got in your wallet and you freak out? Okay, four of you, yeah, yeah, scary stuff. It's a control issue. It's a lordship issue. The, the second thing that I think that we need to understand, our neighbor needs to understand and has to be on guard, and, he, and here's the crux of the matter. If we're not careful, hope migrates. Let me see if I can explain. The, the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples after this rich young man forfeits eternity is eye-opening and startling because he says that it's harder for rich folks to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle. And the disciples make this response and they say, well, then it's hopeless. There's no way any of us are going to pull this off. And Jesus' response is, you're correct. Unless... You put all your trust in God. See, what Jesus is revealing is this. Hope migrates. When you are dealing with possessions and you're dealing with houses and cars and phones and computers and guns and boats and motorcycles. I'm trying to get everybody here. Sewing machines and dresses and shoes. Okay, Darren, you're going to get me in trouble. When you're dealing with all that stuff, if we're not careful, we allow, check this out now, we allow our hope to become attached to what we have or to what we want to have more than it's attached to Jesus. In that same passage that I read to you from 1 Timothy, Paul reiterates this when he says this, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but Put your trust in the living God. See, what Jesus knew and what Paul came to understand is that the chief competitors for your neighbor's heart is God and money, and one of them's going to win. That's the, there, there's a contest going on inside of us, and unfortunately it seems as if that possessions have better commercials than God. And so daily we're bombarded with, you need this, and you need this. This will make you happy. This will give you hope. This will make you feel secure. This will let you relax. This will bring you comfort. This will bring you joy. This will bring you peace. And if we're not careful, our hope and our trust migrates, and we begin to say, you know what? They're right. And what we find out is they're wrong. Our 
hope has to be affixed to Jesus and Jesus alone. See, you can't allow your hope to migrate to money. The wisest man knew that this would be an ongoing battle that we would have to fight on a daily basis. That's why in Proverbs chapter 30, listen to what he says. In Pro- you want to talk about a powerful request. He, he makes two requests of God. Here they are, two life-important requests. I'll be all right if this is what you ask from God today. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 through 9. Listen to what he says. Oh God, I beg two favors for, from you before I die. Here they are. First, help me never tell a lie. Y'all need to stop and pray right now? Okay. Uh, That's a pretty good favor to ask. But listen to what he says second. Second, here it is. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Then he explains why. He says, give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may become content without God. Wow. Then he says, if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Do you understand what he's saying? He is literally saying that if we're not on guard constantly, what takes place is if you've got too much stuff, you will begin to put all of your trust in that and you will come, you can literally come to the place where you don't even need God anymore. In your own mind, you come to this place where you go, I'm content without Him. But if you're too poor, you might actually do something that you would otherwise never do. So there's a balance here. That he's talking about. The wise man knew this. Wealth can lead you to separate from God. Wealth can become a wedge between you and God. And if your neighbor isn't careful. Riches and things and possessions. Can cause them to, demo, to, to depend more on those things. Than they depend on God Almighty. And riches be, can become a substitute. So he says don't let me get too rich. But don't let me be too poor either. He's trying to teach us that we must place our hope in the provider rather than in the provision. So we heard this, we, we, Pastor Woody and I went to this conference this last week, and I, maybe I'm probably still in his thunder for offering, am I? You were going to use it, weren't you? I knew it, I knew it. Don't go to conferences with me any, anymore. You won't get to use this stuff. I'll get it first. Uh, there, there's a poverty gospel, and there's a prosperity gospel, and they're both wrong. So where do we land? How about a provision gospel? How about a provider gospel where we come to this place where we don't place our trust in stuff uh, where we say, God, I'm only going to trust you if you give me a brand new, I don't like Cadillac, so Corvette. I saw a Lotus this weekend on the highway in Oklahoma. God, I'm only going to serve you and I will only believe your God if you give me a Lotus. Or I only know that you're God if, if I don't know where my next meal's coming from and I'm, I'm a beggar and I'm going from place. There's a better place to land. My hope is in this. He says he's Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. He says he's sufficient. He says he's got more than enough. He says that he wants me to experience life and life more abundantly. And that's not just about cars and that's not just about food. But it's all encompassing that he gives me all this stuff to enjoy. But I put my trust in him. So therefore if I wake up one morning and I have landed over here. I still put my trust in him. Because if the pendulum ever swings and I lose it all. My trust is still in him because somewhere in the He's going to make me, give me sufficient for what I need. He's my provider. Don't let your hope 
migrate. Because if your hope migrates, you will never be satisfied. And some of you are living in nice houses right now, but you can't even enjoy the house you've got right now because you've got a neighbor that's got a nicer house. And you can't enjoy the car that's getting you from point A to point B because your neighbor's got a nicer car. And you can't enjoy anything that God has already blessed you with because you're fixating on stuff and you have no hope unless you have the latest. And Jesus says this little possessed boy teaches you that the only way to live is to trust God. So this encounter this morning with this young boy, this possessed man, forces us to ask two questions about your neighbor. The first one is simply this, is your neighbor possessed? Oh, I know that crazy look in their eye when you got here made you begin to question that already. But, 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 but let's, let, let's, is your neighbor possessed? Are they so consumed with stuff that they would literally forfeit eternity to get something they could enjoy now? The second question that we need to ask your neighbor about your neighbor is, where do they place their hope? Have they begun to place their hope on the provision? Or is it completely focused and secure in Jesus so that if the provision is taken away? Oh, y'all, don't, y'all don't like to read Job. I, I understand. It's not my favorite book either. But if it's all taken away, if it's all taken away, I can still say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? Is there hope really in Jesus? So my question for you this, for your neighbor this morning is, have you given ownership away so that now lordship is a struggle? Have you given your hope away? Father, this morning, this account forces us to ask some hard questions. And we can play around and act like it's for our neighbor, but the truth is it's really for us. And God, I I just think that probably under the sound of my voice this morning, there are folks in here that are struggling with lordship issues because they've struggled with ownership issues. Father, I'll stand in for a moment as a representative of those here that would say that our society is very good at convincing us that possessions satisfy. And Father, I would be quick to say that if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, I become possessed by those things. But this morning, I pray that what you would allow us to do is that we would once again examine our place of hope and that we would place our hope and our trust on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. God, if there's somebody in this building this morning that's allowed their hope to migrate to position, their hope to migrate to possessions, I pray that you would 
confront them in their spirit. And they would bow their knee once again. And they would allow hope to rise back up in you. In you. In you. Search our hearts this morning. Examine us. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me this morning? This is how I want us to conclude this morning before Pastor Woody comes to close this out. Maybe you came into this house this morning and you're convinced that everything is good between you and God and that your hope is fixated to the source and not the gifts. But I do believe that this is a topic and an issue that we have to go back to over and over and over and over again because it's so easy to let hope slip and slide. And I just need to inform you this morning, if you misplace your hope, it will become replaced. And I just think that most of us need to take some time this morning and to examine and to really ask some hard questions about what am I placing and who am I placing my trust and my hope in? Because I want to make sure that I am totally dependent on the provider. So this is what we're going to do. They're going to sing softly and as they do, I just want to ask you to find a place to pray. Maybe you need to come down front and kneel. Maybe you need to turn and kneel in your own chair. But I just need you to pray. I want you to start praying for you. But since this is about your neighbor's money, before it's over, would you just slip a hand over on their shoulder and that, and just begin to ask God to help them not to become possessed and to help them to find their hope in Jesus before you leave? Would you do that this morning? Come on, let's find the place and examine where our hope is this morning.
Come on, just to fix your hope onto Him this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray that our hope would always be in you, God. God, I pray if our hope has been in our possessions, if our hope has been in our jobs, if our hope has been in our salary, if our hope has been in anything to do with money, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would tear that down, God. We would repent for that, Lord Jesus, and we would put our hope back in you, Lord Jesus, because that's where it belongs, God. Ask that you would help us all, Lord Jesus. God, as we go throughout our life, God, it's easy to come in here and say that our hope is in you, and it's even easier to go out there and let our hope be in money. And so, God, I pray that our hope every day of our life would be in you, Lord Jesus. Every it's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.